Yeah, that other address. No Okay, good evening and welcome to the January 4th meeting for changes to Chapter 22 of the City Code for the Conservation of Historic Resources. My name is Avery Kerner and I'll be helping to facilitate the Zoom portion of tonight's hybrid meeting. Tonight's meeting is being recorded and broadcast on the City's YouTube channel and Cable Channel 25. For those who are joining the meeting via Zoom, please remember to mute yourself during the meeting when you are not actively speaking to help minimize distractions. If you have a comment or question during the meeting, please use the raise your hand feature at the bottom of your screen. Those who are attending the meeting in person, please come to the podium to speak when you have a comment or question. We also ask that everyone state their name each time they speak to ensure that everyone is able to follow along. And with that, I'll turn the meeting over to the Historic Resources Administrator, Lynn Braddock-Zolner. Thank you, Avery. Well, thank you all for being here this evening. I know it's a little chilly outside, but it's nice and warm in here. So we'll um, do what we can to make this a pleasant experience for you. Um, this is a long time awaited rewrite to chapter 22. It's been in the process for about 10 years. Um, the old chapter was um, designed to be reviewed every five years. And then about 10 years ago, the Historic Resources Commission recognized that it was not being updated um, that often and um, tasked staff with working to come up with a rewrite or to find deficiencies and look for positive ways and positive outcomes to make the chapter um, more in line with current conditions and the way we look at developing historic properties in the city. So we've been working on this for quite a while, and now what you have before you is a draft that the Historic Resources Commission is looking at. They've had a couple of public meetings. They had a study session. Um, they will take all public comment and look at it again at their January 19th meeting, and then they will direct staff on changes that they would like to see to the draft document based on that public comment and their expertise. Um, hopefully that um, direction will come in January or February with a March um, timeline for the commission to take action. Then the um, chapter would need to go to the city commission for final approval. With I want this to be as interactive as possible. I know the meeting room's a little bit challenging, but it is kind of a lengthy document. And so instead of waiting till the end, if you have questions or have a comment that you would like staff to hear, I mean, if you would just raise your hand or come up to the podium. If you're on Zoom, if you just raise your hand and we'll check every now and then to call on you um, if you have questions or if you have comments that you'd like to make. There are quite a few small changes to the chapter. I'm not going to go through all of those. For example, changing the word publicizing to promotion. We're not going to do all those. I'm just going to hit some of the highlights. Um, one of the first things that you'll notice when reviewing this with the existing Chapter 22 is that all the definitions have been removed or move to the end of the chapter. So they're in a new article 14 at the end of the chapter. So it's more user friendly. You don't have to dig through all those definitions before you actually get to the substance of the, of the um, chapter. 
And Article 2 um, really speaks to the membership of the commission. A couple of the um, changes to note there is it changed the makeup of the commission to have two architects. By practice, we've always had two architects on the Historic Resources Commission that provides opportunity for multiple um, professionals to have input on projects. And this is just to make sure that that goes forward in the future. In the duties um, that are available for the Historic Resources Commission, um, this proposed chapter removes um, a recognition program that was established under the original Chapter 22, the thought being that recognition programs really shouldn't come from a public body, but should be something that is taken care of by a nonprofit organization. Um, another change for the duties of the commission would be to designate authority to the Historic Resources Administrator to approve certain projects that require certificate of approval as the commission finds appropriate. Um, this would allow some projects to move more quickly through the system and not have to wait for that monthly Historic Resources Commission meeting. Article 3. Um, speaks to surveys and this article has changed a little bit to make it more in line with what the State Historic Preservation Office does um, and the National um, Park Service, how they look at survey historic properties. Um, Article 4 starts in with the landmark and historic district regulations. Um, a couple of the key points to take away from this section, um, we removed key contributing status for historic district properties. That's something that the Park Service used to do. They don't do that anymore. So this would align more with what the Park Service looks at for historic districts. So properties would either be contributing or non-contributing. Um, in the current Chapter 22, it lists out all the landmarks and historic districts. The new chapter would allow incorporation by reference so that we don't have to amend this chapter every so often to put in those new um, properties that would just be incorporated by reference when they're approved by ordinance. For historic districts, there was a sliding scale on how many um, property owner consent you had to have to form a historic district. This new chapter proposes to take out that sliding scale and have a straight across the board 51% of property owners um, consent to the historic district. There is also an added pre-submittal requirement for historic district and national, I'm sorry, and Lawrence Register nominations. This is to allow people to be more um, easily through the system. If they have this pre-submittal meeting, um, staff can help them with the um, things that they need to have to submit for that nomination so that they're not submitting for a nomination and not being aware of what all they needed to keep that nomination on track. 
Currently in chapter 22, the only thing that you need to submit with an application is the legal description of the property and the property ownership list for properties within 250 feet. Um, there's an added application material to include the history of the property, an architectural description of the property, and photographs of the property. And there again, that just gives um, applicants the idea of what they need to submit so that they're not having time wasted to go back and forth and get that information once they've submitted. Um, the criteria for designation has been changed um, to be consistent with the National Register of Historic Places um, criteria. And we've added language to the hearing before the governing body where the governing body may remand the nomination back to the HRC for additional information. Um, the protest procedures have changed a little bit. We added a 14-day requirement for protest of the recommendation by the HRC, and that aligns with our other protest um, petitions for um, planning applications. There is an avenue for a nomination to be classified as highly significant, and that would be if um, the nomination were over the ownership's objection. It can move forward if it's considered highly significant. Currently, there's a 50-year criteria to meet to reach that threshold. This would remove that criteria of 50-year mark, um, but it adds that the um, HRA and two other preservationists specialists determine that the property is highly significant and that the proposed structure must meet the criteria for National Register as determined by the State Historic Preservation Office. It also added um, that property, landmark properties and historic district nominations can be amended or recession must be by two-thirds vote of the HRC and a supermajority of the governing body. Does anybody have any questions or comments on the first four articles? Barry, do you mind coming to the podium? Would you like to speak more than once if we have questions? Yes. Yeah, um, my name is Barry Shalinsky, 645 Connecticut Street. Um, my question, um, I guess, is um, I think in Article 2, um, with regard to um, what exactly um, is now being proposed to be done administratively rather than um, by the HRC. Okay, um, this article, when it's the stating the um, duties of the Historic Resources Commission, one of those duties can be that they come up with a list of projects 
that staff can review administratively, and it would be for properties that are listed as a landmark on the Lawrence Register or located in a historic district. The Historic Resources Commission would come up with that list that they would adopt by resolution that would be projects that staff could approve administratively. So the uh, article, it's, or the, uh, yeah, the article itself does not um, provide for administrative approvals. It would authorize the HRC to come up with a list of things that could be done administratively. And that means that the HRC could um, decide that there's not a list that they wish to submit for that. Is, is that? That's correct. That's, okay, thank you. So a big change in Article 5 is we're changing the name from Certificate of Appropriateness to Certificate of Approval. That's to better align with our other um, permit applications. Let me catch up with myself. Um, some changes to this were um, we added when a certificate of approval is required for listed properties to include sign permits, site plans, subdivisions, ground disturbing projects, improvements or development in the public right of way. Um, the new Article 5 also separates out projects for the context area. Environs review goes totally away. There'd be no more environs review. Um, in its place would be a context review for properties within 250 feet of the property listed in the Lawrence Register and only for projects that are visible from the public right-of-way. In addition to all context reviews would be done at administrative level to delay, um, to prohibit or prevent further delay in getting through the process. Um, this would also require a seven day pre-submittal meeting, um, but it also allows for the application to be forwarded to the Historic Resources Commission by another city department. For instance, if you're applying for a building permit and it's flagged that you need historic resources review, the building permit department can send that over without you having to make a complete new application. Another good change, I think, for this part is right now, when you go with a project before the Historic Resources Commission, they can approve or deny the project. Sometimes there are simple things that a project um, applicant can do to make the project be from um, denial to approval, but there's no mechanism for the HRC to do that conditional approval. This would add conditional approval ability for the HRC so that the applicant doesn't have to make the changes and return back to the full HRC. The HRC can do a conditional approval, and then when those conditions are met, the Historic Resources Administrator could go ahead and release the permit. So it saves time on how many times you have to go back to the full Historic Resources Commission. 
Um, similar to that, if there's a denial of a certificate of appropriateness or approval by the Historic Resources Commission, and they can outline um, items that they would approve the project if the applicant would make those changes, then the applicant can bring those changes back with a permit request and staff can approve that administratively. It wouldn't have to go back to the full Historic Resources Commission for a public meeting. The standards for review have changed in this new proposed chapter for properties listed in the Lawrence Register of Historic Places, either as landmarks or historic districts. The standards for review would be the Secretary of the Interior standards. That's to align review more in line with the state preservation law. Those are the standards used um, for that state preservation law. It also adds standards for context areas that are separate from those for listed properties. And those standards um, include using um, use as compatible with the designated um, landmark or historic district, um, preserving distinctive stylish features, architectural details, spatial relationships, are examples of skilled craftsmanship that contribute to the character of the context area shall be compatible with the designated landmark or historic district. Deteriorated architectural features should be repaired rather than replaced, but if necessary to replace, the new feature should match the feature being replaced in material design, texture, and other visual qualities. Every reasonable effort shall be made to protect archaeological resources. And contemporary design for new construction is not uh, discouraged. New construction can be approved if it is um, compatible with the overall context area. Um, Alterations should be exterior alterations, and the um, alterations are separated from listed properties to the context areas. And again, the context area review is only for projects viewed from the public right-of-way. Um, the design criteria also changes to separate out landmarks and historic districts from context areas and add signage guidelines for context areas. Article six is the certificate of economic hardship. A couple of important changes to this portion of the chapter <coughs> would include um, adding a minimum of five years experience for the report of the structural soundness and demolition feasibility but it removes the itemized operating and maintenance expenses and depreciation deduction and annual, ca annual cash flow language. It also removes maintaining or remaining balance on any mortgage for the previous two years. There's also um, added a statement from the State Historic Preservation Office that the property is not eligible for historic preservation financial incentive programs. And then it also adds that the application can be reviewed at a regular scheduled meeting or one called for the purpose of the review. Article seven 
deals with public hearing processes. And this is just to make sure that everyone understands the notice of the meetings, the burden of proof standards and the conduct and rules of the public meetings. Article eight is property owned by public agencies. Um, we've had a really good staff cooperation between um, properties that are owned or maintained by our municipal services and operations and our parks and recreation department. Anytime they're working on a project that involves historic assets, they always call or email and say, here's what we're doing. What do you think? Is this a problem? This would actually go ahead and codify that they would have to go through the same process as any other applicant if they're proposing changes to a property that's listed in the Lawrence Register or within that context area. And it does include the review of vacation of streets or alleys. Article 9 is the Historic Resources Administrator on staff. It changes the experience requirement from two to five years and adds language um, to include notice required by federal, state, or local laws and regulations. It also adds the ability for the Historic Resources Administrator to approve certain applications for certificate of approval as determined and delegated by the Historic Resources Commission. Article 10, incentives and easements. The big change in this article is that um, the city can acquire easements for properties listed in the national and state register properties. Acquire? Yes. Um, here again, this removed the award program that was um, in the chapter previously. In the existing chapter 22, article 11 is um, for fees. This new chapter would propose that there are no fees. Right now, the fees are $10 for a landmark nomination and $50 for a historic district nomination. There is no fee for a design review application for a certificate of approval. This would eliminate those um, two fees for landmarks and historic districts. In place of the fee section, the new Article 11 would be emergency procedures. This would allow for if there's a public safety, health and welfare issue to allow a process whereby the city can approve a certificate of approval without having to wait for the next available Historic Resources Commission meeting. This actually happened in um, Pinckney with a property that was in the environs and a sinkhole developed under the, an accessory structure. And there was no time to wait for the next Historic Resources Commission meeting, but there was no mechanism or avenue to get that approved before the next meeting. So we recognize that there really needs to be emergency procedures in here for those situations. Article 12 is minimum maintenance standards. Um, this looks at um, things that 
should be maintained for historic properties, um, including adequate foundations, um, detective, um, de sorry, deteriorated floor supports, things of that nature should all be maintained. And then there's a list in here of things um, that would indicate decay and deterioration. Um, if the property is a landmark or designated in a historic district or in the context area, um, the Historic Resources Commission can notify the building official to issue a written notice specifying the conditions of deterioration and the minimum items of repair or maintenance necessary to correct or prevent further deterioration. Um, the notice shall be sent certified mail to the owner of the property. The notice um, shall provide corrective action, so it'll commence no later than 30 days, but this can be expanded um, depending on if the applicant's working on um, taking care of those deteriorated features. Article 13 is municipal offenses and civil actions. There's just been um, the change, the criminal action was in um, the existing chapter 22 and that's now changed to a municipal offense. And then article 14 is the definition section. So with that, I'd be happy to answer any questions or take any comment you have. We're really looking for some feedback on does this chapter um, do what it's supposed to do? Is it good for the development and redevelopment and historic areas of town? Does it conserve our historic assets appropriately? Does it go too far? Does it not go far enough? I'm um, really looking for feedback on what your thoughts are about the new proposed revisions. Um, Mary Shalinsky, 645, Connecticut again. Uh, my question is, um, do, uh, this kind of deals with like districts and properties um i'm wondering uh is any provision made for um what i'm going to call historic public infrastructure in other words things like um brick streets brick sidewalks stone curbs um pitching posts other things that would be in an area that would um, contribute to the uh, historic ambiance of it, but are not necessarily owned by a private individual. And as a community, like, how do we um, deal with those things or how do we propose to deal with those matters? Thanks. And right now, the way the survey and um, nomination articles are written, they can be for objects as well as structures. So some of those things would be objects that would be included in a national in a landmark designation or a historic district. And also with the um, 
public agencies, the public right-of-way, things are in the public right-of-way would be reviewed for their changes as well. Good evening, everybody. My name is Katie Walsh. I live at 732 Rhode Island. And piggybacking on Barry's question, um, I think it needs to be stronger than that. So now I'm talking to the Historic Resources Commissioners, wherever you are out there. Um, I think rather than just having objects considered, I think it needs to be streets, stone curbs, hitching posts, um, brick sidewalks and brick streets need to be included, not just advise somebody who's nominating their property to include it, but it needs to be considered as part of context. And that means it would have to be in this new revised code in several chapters. So that's my advice. I have a few other questions. Um, how about viewscapes? I know when KU did their historic preservation study, they did include viewscapes. And I I may not have, I may have missed it. It may be in here somewhere. No, yeah. I think it needs to be considered. Um, again, I'm talking to the commissioners. I also am wondering, um, will this revised version be floated by the state just for their comments? It will go to the state historic preservation office. They've looked at the draft and then once we get it in final form, they'll review it for approval as well. Excellent. Um, yeah, I like the word context. We've been using that informally for years. It's just clear. I like that. Um, further down, right at the end, they talk about someone who's unable or unwilling to take care of a historic property. And they list <clears throat> all the steps that you would go through. So I have two things about that. At the very end, they say there could be a certificate of economic hardship. Um, but we are in late stage capitalism. And we probably need something. I mean, if you're going to say this property is deteriorating. Perhaps it's owned by a poor person. It's valuable. They can't fix it. There has to be some dollars if the community values that place. I don't know where those dollars would come from, but it needs to be in the city budget, in my opinion. And lastly, I'm really concerned that a citizen can contact the city about so-called deteriorated properties in a historic district or on the register. This is used as weaponry. It's been used as weaponry reporting code violations. Since I've moved to Lawrence, you may remember the umbrella incident. I don't know. But people use uh, calling the city with code violations as weaponry. And I just, I don't know how you pull that out of here so it doesn't get abused. But other cities might have figured that out. So those are my comments. Thank you. This is Avery Kerner, planning staff. It looks like uh, Walt and, and or Tony Clogston have a comment. If you would like to go ahead and unmute, you can provide your comment or question. Yeah, this is Walt Clogston, uh, 1308 New Hampshire. Uh, just following up on the previous speaker and the, uh, uh, I guess, the change about the uh, uh, 
deteriorating structures within a historic district and also, as I understand it, within 250 feet of a house in such a district. Um, has the staff done, done any kind of a survey themselves, a visual survey of how many houses they think that might um, might fall into that category? We have not done a survey to get that information. Yeah, just from, from, from walking around, and I guess it depends how you define a uh, such a structure, but there might be quite a few. So, and I would have a concern too about how, how that how that enforcement mechanism would work, but uh, that's really my only comment, just wanted to kind of highlight, that's something that really jumped out at me. That's all. Hi, sorry, Hugh Carter. Can you just clarify uh, his question? He was asking about what type of structure visually? The there? ones that are not meeting the minimum property maintenance. Minimum. Um, gotcha. Thank you. Time for another speaker? Yes. <laughs> My name is Ron Gacious, and I reside at 4305 Nicholas Drive. Um, I'm here speaking only behalf of myself. Um, I'm not a developer. I don't own any property uh, anywhere other than my home. Um, my family doesn't include any developers or real estate agents or brokers or anyone that has any investments with any historical properties or any properties that are currently within any of the environments of historical properties. Um, I'm just an observer of what goes on in Lawrence. And I've also been uh, informed by my recent experience, five years on the Affordable Housing Advisory Board. Um, in my role on the advisory board, um, I've had an opportunity to visit with all of the not-for-profit developers, residential developers here in our community, as well as several of the for-profit developers in our community. My opinions are informed by those discussions. Um, I think I support these changes. Um, my concern uh, from my experience with the Affordable Housing Advisory Board is that land use decisions are extremely complicated and controversial in our community. And we have several different component parts of our city that engage on land use decisions. We need to simplify that. We're just beating the crap out of our developers and running them ragged, imposing costs on them that I think are unreasonable, certainly costs that make it more difficult to develop affordable housing in our community. Plan 2040 puts an emphasis on infill development and increased density. There's also language in Plan 2040 that speaks to protecting the environs of neighborhoods. These are in direct conflict. You can't have infill development and increased density without changing the environs of a community, of, of a neighborhood. 
Um, we've seen recent discussions by our city commission where exactly that trade-off has occurred and affordable housing opportunities have been denied because someone felt that an infill increased density proposal would change the nature of the neighborhood. Um, if we're going to address our affordable housing needs of this community, and if we're going to do it relying primarily on infill and increased density development, we're going to impact the environs. We're going to nestle up against some historical properties. Otherwise, we will never meet the needs of our community for affordable housing, particularly in our downtown areas where so many of our historical properties are located. We're in desperate need of workforce housing, which is affordable housing in our downtown community. So I support any change that will ease the burden on our not-for-profit and for-profit developers to locate potential sites for affordable housing and develop those sites for potential housing. I'm particularly interested in seeing the change that reduces the 500-foot trigger to 250 feet. I think the 500-foot trigger has been, in my view, extreme and arbitrary. And what do I mean by extreme? Well, it's 500 feet for crying out loud. It's nearly two football fields length. And if I'm standing in the middle of Mass Street and looking 500 feet down the street, I can't tell you anything about the facades of the buildings that are over nearly 500 feet away. I think it's an extreme standard, and I'm glad to see that trigger go away. And what do I mean by... Excuse me. And, and what do I mean by arbitrary? Well, at a 500-foot trigger, I mean, really, can you look down the street and tell if that new facility, that new proposed facility is 475 feet away or 525 feet away? I mean, how on earth did we end up with 500 feet? It's not statistically significant in any way. There's nothing magic about that trigger. There's really nothing magic about the trigger of 200 feet, 250 feet either. It's subject to the same, well, subjectivity as 500 feet. But I like it because it's going to impact fewer properties. And it's going to ease some of the developmental hurdles for affordable housing in our community. Um, I don't have technical backgrounds on all of the nuanced changes that I've heard described. Uh, I like them. I think that whatever we can do to make this process more predictable, I actually like the idea of giving city staff more authority to make routine decisions that shouldn't have to go before an adjudicative uh, body like the uh, HRC. Uh, and in fact, I'm hopeful that the broad plan to uh, simplify our advisory panels for the community, of which we now have something like 46 or 47, um, I've heard city commissioners speak of getting that down to 11 or 12. I would hope that all of our land use decision making can be combined into a single authoritative body so that we go through this process once and not have specialized hearings for specialized purposes that serve specialized interest groups. Let's bring all of those rules together 
and deal with them all at one time and simplify this for the city, simplify this for those that want to build affordable housing or any other type of devel development in the community. I greatly appreciate the work that's been done that's brought us this far, and I hope it continues. Thank you very much. Hi, Hugh Carter. I'm at uh, 6205 Blue Nile Drive, but really just here to monitor on behalf of the Chamber of Commerce, my day job. Um, and, but I do feel compelled to comment on a couple of things. First of all, uh, thank you. Fantastic job on this. Um, I think it's a move uh, certainly in the right direction. And whether it's too much or not enough, um, I think it's definitely not enough, but we can certainly certainly look here now implement this and kind of see how this looks if, if there's any further work to be done but there were a couple of things that jumped out at me that i especially happy to see one is uh conditional approvals you know having served i served on the planning commission uh, for a little bit before the city commission and i some folks don't love conditional approvals at least from through the planning commission but it's certainly in this sort of case where uh, something can get addressed it's just it's one of those things that just makes sense you're it's not that you're letting anything go but you're there's no need to come back if you can uh you know make 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 the uh, condition right and you know it's right that's the protection you can give neighbors that on you know conditionally we can get this done tonight as long as you agree to do this or that and it just moves things forward um and, and oftentimes things that are improving that, you know, the neighborhood or the property anyway. So no sense holding them up and adding uh, costs and delays. So I really like that. The other that I think is a real positive is administrative approvals. And so I would hope and encourage that the um, the, the commissioners are, are liberal <laughs> to an extent and giving you those authorities simply because uh, I and, and I guess maybe a question as well as I assume those are something that that commission can always tweak that list of what they would give administrative approval for. Um, you know, and that being the case, certainly, Lynn, you have a demonstrated history here that I think everybody can trust that none of that will be done in haste or taken lightly. But but when it is something that, you know, no matter how well we think out these sort of things, sometimes we're just stuck with, well, doggone it, this doesn't make sense to hold you up like this, but that's the letter of the law. So wherever we can give you that authority or that ability to just do what makes sense, um, sometimes um or to to expedite something that doesn't need to wait for any particular reason other than maybe any rate i think that all really makes sense and again can always scale that back in the future if you find there's a little too much but i i um I would encourage folks to give you you that latitude where you can, because as much work has been done here, I think with administrative approval, a little authority to do, again, what you think really makes sense can also go a long way, uh, a little further than what's even written in here as far as improving that process for, uh, for, for applicants. So thank you very much for the work. This is Avery Kerner, planning staff. Is there anyone attending the meeting via Zoom that would like to provide 
public comment uh, or uh, has a question about what's been presented? If so, you can go ahead and unmute. Is there any other public comment from people in the room? Anything oh. you'd like to share? Oh, sorry. Yeah, Barry Shalinsky again. Um, as has been pointed out, we have um, what we could call uh, potentially conflicting priorities that we are dealing with at times, uh, density versus um, context as was pointed out as an example. Um, I guess I only have one overarching comment, which is that um, as the owner of a property that is on the National Register of Historic Places, it's on the national register, it's on the state register, and it's on the local register, um, not by happenstance, but because I chose to pursue those nominations. The reason why I chose to pursue those nominations is because it's bigger than me. I don't own my house. I mean, I do own my house, but in a bigger sense, my house owns me. Um, it's been there for 120 years, long before I was born. And because of steps that I've taken and am taking with repairs, it's going to be there hopefully long after I'm dead. So I'm like the temporary caretaker. And that is how I view our historic resources. They've been here long before we were here and hopefully they will be here long after we're gone. And um, in our system of laws, we place a lot of emphasis on the rights of owners of a property, even though those people may be the owners of that property for a very, very short time. Maybe they buy it, they do something, they sell it, and they're gone. But the impact of changes can be forever. Once a historic building is destroyed, it's gone forever. And I think when we're looking at these things, it's important to just keep that point of view in mind. 
Not that we can't ever tear down an old building, but it's the type of decision that should be made carefully. Um, and for uh, purposes beyond maybe somebody's immediate economic gain. Because um, again, once these are gone, they're gone forever. And uh, I think that goes to demolitions. I think that goes to um, the comments that KT made about um, balancing minimum maintenance with people's resources and abilities to take care of things, as well as the fact that absolutely this has been used as a political weapon in this town. I have observed it for more than 40 years. Somebody doesn't like somebody, so they get reported. And all of a sudden, they're like embroiled in a big thing um, over what may be really kind of a minor issue. Um, and I've seen buildings that have been torn down over that when somebody could have done something to save them with a little bit of money. And that, again, concerns me about this so-called economic hardship um, discussion because, you know, you can always find someone who says that it's not economically feasible to repair a building. And you can also find people in this town like um, Senator Francisco and her husband, Joe Bickford, who have taken on many, many projects that people have said were not economically feasible, and they have saved those buildings and turned them into affordable housing. So um, these are all things that I hope that the uh, HRC and the City Commission will consider when they're making these changes. Thank you. Yes, oh, you, you can go ahead. Uh, it looks like we do have one person via Zoom uh, who wants to provide comment, but uh, Katie, if you want to go ahead and very briefly, and I just this is off topic, but um, you may have seen in the paper today that we lost our good friend Dennis Daly, um, professor emeritus at KU of Architecture and Historic Preservation. And he was a preservationist to the core, and this is a huge loss to our community. Um, his books, his research, there'll be articles written about him, but... Um, he was a good man. Dennis Dillman? No, Dennis Daly, the professor at KU. He, human sexuality and everything. Yeah. Anyway, thank you. <laughs> this is Avery Kerner, planning staff. Scott, if you want to unmute, you can provide your comment. Thank you. Uh, I'm happy to see that. Uh, these are uh, undergoing this this revision in public comment. Uh, I personally, I, I don't think that context areas are actually really needed. Uh, environments were unique to Lawrence. Uh, most cities don't actually subject projects near a historic property 
to some sort of historic compatibility review. Uh, but however, if we're going to do this as a community, I, I really do think that these administrative reviews are a much better process than the, the prior code uh, or the prior ordinance. Um, you know, we already have zoning and building codes. I would prefer to see context area reviews really only when certain triggers like a zoning change or a new commercial building, for instance, are proposed instead of uh, simply when uh, a resident uh, wants to perform a project. You know, there's already other codes for that. I do think that those context area reviews here are, are still pretty vague. Uh, there's a, a conflict kind of it's already been discussed between these allowing new architectural forms and trying to say that certain contributing aspects of a, a context area uh, on a property that isn't historic needs to be uh, preserved. So I'd like to see if there's a way to have some more definition in that area to try and resolve some of the, the issues that we've seen around that before. Um, it also looks like in the, the new proposed code that if you are proposing something in a context area, you don't have the ability to appeal the HRC's decision to the city commission. Is that correct? No, you would always have the ability to appeal staff decision to the Historic Resources Commission and Historic Resources Commission to the city commission. Great. Okay. Yeah, my reading was, uh, I thought that had been removed. So that that's, uh, that's great. Um, and then my last comment is on uh, proposed historic districts. Uh, right now, the new code, and I'm not sure what the old code is, it says that uh, there's a threshold for uh, the approval of a nomination that's it's just greater than 50%. Uh, and I think that it should be a higher threshold than that. So if you're going to look at a neighborhood uh, and it's a close vote uh, and you're going to take over 40 45 percent of residents and turn that into a historic district I, I think it needs a higher threshold uh, if you're going to take homeowners and put them under this new regulation it should be somewhere you know over over three-fourths uh, in my opinion uh, i'm not sure what other cities have um, but 50 percent seems like a low threshold uh, and then i i'd also suggest that you define uh, for a district, what a vote is. Uh, so there's been some high prof profile cases, but uh, does each house get a vote or does each owner of a house get a vote, for example? You know, if there is, uh, there is someone who's against it, I know that there's been some examples like in the Johnson district and some other prior districts in town where homeowners didn't want to be part of a, a historic district. I think it'd be, it'd be good to define uh, what a vote is. That's it. Thank you. This is Avery Kerner, Planning South. Uh, I'll do a last call for any public comment or questions from those attending via Zoom. Doesn't look like we have. Doesn't look like we have any more questions or comments from so Zoom we, participants. Are there any more questions or comments from people in the room? Okay. okay, well, this is an ongoing conversation. So if you have any other questions or comments, um, please feel free to email those to me or call me on the phone. Um, my information's on the website or I have a business card if you'd rather have that. And we look forward to hearing from you soon.
Well, thank what's you. What's the next step in this process? The next step would be the Historic Resources Commission meeting on January 19th. Will they receive all the public comment that we have? We've also had some internal meetings with staff, so they'll receive all that all that comment from um, other like people from municipal services and operations and our code enforcement section, and they'll receive all that comment on January 19th. Then they will direct staff um, to either do more research or to change things or that they need more time. So hopefully um, in March, they would be able to um, look forward to adoption. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Thank you for coming. I appreciate it.